All right, let's take the offering. We'll do that. And then we'll continue. Just take a few minutes. I was thinking uh, after this morning about starting from next Sunday morning about some of the things I'm going to be sharing. And I was just thinking this afternoon that there is really so much that really is hard to know even where to begin. Uh, there's just uh, there's so many facets of what I really want to say and what I want to talk about. And we mentioned this morning about getting breakthroughs and victories and to see God's hand move. But before we even get to that, uh, I think that there's a danger in saying that that we only seek the Lord for that. And I think that we need to address that mindset so that we're seeking the Lord for His sake and for His will and purpose and for His desire. And as we do that, then the other things will fall into place and we will see greater breakthroughs and victories. Uh, but we need to get our focus right in the first place and so I think maybe we'll be start to deal along those lines uh, at the beginning and then we'll move on to other things. I, I don't know how long it'll take me to do this, uh, but I think it'll take a few weeks. And I think that's good because we need to be reminded over and over and over again. We need to, you know, because if you only mention it once or twice, then it's over our head and it's forgotten about. But if you keep talking about it and praying about it and thinking about it and doing it, actually, uh, then it becomes uh, much more meaningful. So uh, we'll do that as the weeks uh, go on. We have nobody in particular coming through uh, January, February at this point, uh, but we do have a couple of people coming through in March on Mother's Day. Uh, if all goes well, whenever I was uh, in Tessa's uh, former church there, uh, in August, there was a lady came to me and she said that she knew somebody who comes to Ireland and uh, she plays a violin, she's a great singer, and that uh, I think she may be even Canadian, and that she comes frequently to Ireland and uh, would I mind having her come through. Well, that lady has been in touch with me two or three times since, in fact, would have had her, uh, but it clashed with our anniversary uh, month and we had so many people coming through, but it's finally, as far as I know anyway, it's finally settled that she'll be coming through uh, in Mother's Day, which I think is in March, sometime this March. So hopefully that gives us a little bit of time to deal with this and to, and to get, get our focus right uh, before we do anything else at the beginning of this year. All right, this morning we were in 2 Samuel, and tonight we are in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. It really is only really... Uh, one verse, part of a verse. 1 Samuel chapter 2. <coughs> uh, verse 30, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I, indeed, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But the Lord says, Far be it from me. This was actually speaking about Eli, the priest. For those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. 
but particularly that part. For those who honor me, I will honor. Michael Faraday was, in his generation, uh, the greatest British scientist, the most certainly most well-known scientist in Britain in his day. He was the inventor of the dynamo. Uh, he was the son of a, a blacksmith. He had little or no education. And he got a job in a, in a book bindery at place where they bound books. And there he discovered science books. And he became fascinated with science. So, so fascinated, in fact, that he began to pursue this uh, as not just as a hobby, but as a real interest and in fact, from that small beginning, he became uh, world famous, in fact, as a brilliant scientist and philosopher and all the rest of it. But Michael Faraday was uh, a wonderful believer in Christ. He loved the Lord God with all of his heart. And he was, later on in life, when he became very famous, uh, he was asked many, many times to give lectures. And in one particular lecture he was giving, it was full of distinguished scientists. It was a very, very large hall full of people. In fact, the Prince of Wales, who would become uh, King Edward the Seventh, I believe it was, later on, he was there. And for over an hour, he held them spellbound. He was a tremendous communicator, and he always uh, demonstrated what he was talking about. And so he held them spellbound for over an hour. And he ended up with a, an illustration about magnetism that was so novel in its day and so profound uh, that whenever he finished and sat down, they all to a man stood up and clapped and cheered. They'd never seen the like of it in their lives. And in fact, it was so uh, impactful to the whole audience that the Prince of Wales uh, proposed that uh, a congratulation should be sent uh, to the great man Faraday. And again, somebody seconded that, and then everybody again stood to their feet and clapped and cheered. And uh, while that was going on, he, he quietly slipped behind the curtain. And whenever they all died down and they took their seats again, uh, they were expecting and waiting for Michael Faraday to, to come out and to acknowledge that. And of course, they were prepared to give him another cheer. But he didn't appear. And only a few close friends of his knew exactly where he was. Because that night when his lecture ended, the prayer meeting in his church had just begun. And it was a church that never had any more than 20 members. But he never missed, if he was in the country, he never missed his prayer meeting. And so that's where he was. And even though the future king of England was waiting on him, he didn't care. He had an appointment with the king of kings and lord of lords. I want to talk to you tonight about honoring God and how that if we honor God, God will honor us. Michael Faraday, in fact, just a few years ago, when you turned down a five-pound note, his picture was on the back of it. After all of that time, he's still being honored today. Eric Little was born to Scottish missionaries in China. In fact, he was born in China and lived there with his parents until he was about five or six, until they returned home. 
He grew up and went to college. And he was a bright student, but he was also highly athletic. And one of his famous statements was, he said that he believed that God had made him for purpose. But he says, I believe that God made me fast. And he says, whenever I run, I feel his pleasure. He was a rugby player, Dean, wherever you are. In fact, he played in the Five Nations, I think it was seven times. He was a great athlete. And what made him famous, of course, and they made the movie about it, Chariots of Fire, was in the 1924 Olympics in Paris, the Summer Olympics, he was one of the Olympiads that was to run. And even though the movie doesn't exactly get this right, they made it out that he only found this out when he got there, but actually knew some months before that his main races, which was the 100 and 200 meters, that was what he excelled in, that they were to be run on Sunday. And he decided there and then that he would not run on Sunday. That for him and his day and his belief was, was against his Christian convictions. And so even though he run the risk of not even getting going to the Olympics, he believed that he would honor God if he didn't do that. But they decided to let him go anyway, and in the few months that remained before the Olympics, he trained very hard for the 400 meters. And even though he was good at it, but it wasn't, wasn't his best events. And for those of you that saw the movie, that on the day, because it wasn't a Sunday, when he was to run on the 400 meters, an American masseuse that had been with the American team had heard about it, and he pressed a piece of paper into his hand. When Eric Little read it, it was that verse that we just read tonight, 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. Those that honor me, them will I honor. And he ran with that in his hand, and he beat everybody, and he got the gold medal. And he became famous, so famous they made a movie about him. Of course, later on in life, he too became a missionary and served something 18 to 20 years in China as a great missionary, had great influence over many, many, particularly over young people because he was world famous at this time. And so, God is a way of honoring those who honor him. So how do we honor God in our lives? Well, first of all, and very simply, like Faraday and like Little, we make Jesus Lord of our lives. We put him first. And we decide that in all things, with his grace, that we will honor him. I never forget the great German golfer Bernhard Langer, arguably one of the best golfers that Europe ever produced. Had won tournaments in every nation. But he's a born-again believer. In fact, and I don't know if this has changed, for a long, long time, he was the only born-again believing golfer in all of Europe. There was lots in America, but none in Europe, only him. I'll never forget 
one great tournament he won. It might have been the Masters. I'm not, I forget which one, but I remember it was an Easter Sunday. And he's standing with the, the great cup. The interviewer stuck a mic in his face and asked him to comment. And the first thing he said was, on this day that my Lord rose from the dead, I want to give honor to him. <laughs> and that went all over the world, live. <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing. And I thought, there's somebody who knows how to honor the Lord. And he posted his colors. He nailed his colors to the mast right away, didn't he? To let everybody know, I love Jesus. During the last uh, World Cup, particularly the Brazilian side, how many were believers. And whenever they scored a goal, they tore their shirt off and underneath their vest was Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and scriptures, John 3, 16. And they prayed in the middle of the place, in the middle of the park, they prayed. And they really didn't care who knew that they were born again believers. They wanted to honor the Lord. And so, like those, we too can find a way to honor Christ. And sometimes it's as simple as speaking up for him. Sometimes it's as simple as acknowledging him. Rather than hiding and being fearful, what will people think? What will they say? At some point, you've got to get beyond that, don't you? You've got to get beyond that and let people know that you belong to Christ. And whenever you honor him that way, he'll find a way to honor you. When you acknowledge him publicly, there's something about publicly acknowledging the Lord. The Bible says we believe with our heart, but we confess with our mouth unto salvation. And there's something about that public confession, letting people know who we belong to. And then you let the chips fall where they lie. Lie where they fall. You just say it. Sometimes you'll get a strange reaction. But if you're honest and you're not a hypocrite and you mean it and you live it, then somebody will appreciate it. But I tell you what, God appreciates it. And God finds ways to honor those who honor him. So, firstly, make Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Secondly, serve him everywhere and every way possible. John 12, 26, Jesus said, If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Hmm. Now that's nice, isn't it? If you serve the Lord, the father will honor you. He'll find a way to bring honor to you. Dr. David Livingstone was arguably, again in his generation, uh, the best known missionary in the whole world. Whenever he was a young man, he wanted to go into ministry. He tried to preach, but he felt he flopped and he decided he would be a doctor instead. <clears throat> Little did he know at that point that God was going to use him as a doctor and a preacher. 
and he'd be very good at both in the end. But one time he was in a meeting and another great missionary of his day, Dr. Moffat, he'd just come back from Africa and he was telling the stories that missionaries tell about what it was like to live there and what the situation was and what he had come through. And young David Livingstone was fascinated. At this time he was studying uh, medicine. And then Dr. Moffat said something that he just could not forget. Here's what his words were. He said, I stood and I saw a great plain before me. And in the morning sun, I saw the smoke from a thousand villages that had no missionary. And when Moffat said those words, it went into Livingston's heart. And he thought, if they have no missionary, I'll be one. I'll go there. I will go where no man has ever went before to preach the gospel. And he went to Dr. Moffat afterwards and he says, look, I'm training to be a doctor. Could I go to Africa? And the rest, of course, is history, isn't it? He went to Africa and he blazed a trail that people today like Reinhard Bonnke and many others and other missionary organizations are enjoying the fruits of. But he blazed a trail, opened up new areas for the gospel. And he loved that nation to the day he died. In fact, when he did die and he was being buried in London, it was one of the biggest funerals that London had seen for years. Thousands and thousands of people come out to pay the respects to this great missionary. And while the people were lining the streets, a tramp began to fight his way through the crowd to stand to see the cortege coming past. And people were a bit embarrassed because he was dirty and he was smelly and they tried to push him back. And he says, no, I have every right to stand here. He says, David Livingstone and I were in the same Sunday school class. And he decided for Christ and I decided against him. What a difference. What a difference. One time Livingstone couldn't be found. They sent Henry Stanley out to find him. And here's what Henry Stanley said. He found Livingstone in Africa and he lived with him for some time. Here's his testimony. I went to Africa as a prejudiced, as prejudiced and as the biggest atheist in London. But there came for me a long time for reflection. I saw this solitary old man there and asked myself, how on earth does he stop here? Is he cracked or what? What is it that inspires him? For months after we met, I found myself wondering at the old man carrying out all that was said in the Bible. Leave all things and follow me. But little by little, his sympathy for others became contagious. My sympathy was aroused. Seeing his piety, his gentleness, his zeal, his earnestness, and how he went about his business, I was converted by him, although he had not tried to do it. You know, Livingstone inspired 
and affected so many people around the world because he honored the Lord. There were two sons born into the Taylor family in England. And the older one set out to make himself a name and prestige. And he headed for Parliament. But the younger son, Hudson Taylor, he became a missionary and headed for China and into obscurity. But today, Hudson Taylor is known and honored in every continent on earth as the founder of the China Inland Mission. But when you look into the encyclopedia to see what the other son has done, you'll find these words, the brother of Hudson Taylor. See, God has ways of honoring those who honor him. And so if we can find a way to serve the Lord, no matter how small it may be, no matter how insignificant it may look to others, the Father will find a way to honor you. And then thirdly, be a lover of God's house. Be a lover of God's house. Notice I says God's house. God has ordained that believers meet corporately in his house. Whatever that house may be, it may be a brick building, it may be a mud hut in Africa, it may be underneath a tree in Africa. But it's somewhere where we regularly meet together. Psalm 26 and 8 says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your honor dwells. There's something God honoring about believers attending the house of the Lord. It's a great witness, you know. There used to be a generation and sadly, it's not as what it used to be, but there used to be a generation where the people went to the house of God and just about everything closed on Sunday. And everybody knew the Christians are going to the house of God. I remember a time when I was growing up, <clears throat> some of you older ones remember these things. We didn't have running water in our homes in those days, but there was a pump down the street that served the whole street. So you wanted water, you went to the bucket, got a bucket, hung it on the pump, you pumped the water. Who remembers that? Yeah, I see. We're giving her age away, aren't we? And I remember that on Saturday night, even the unbelievers on Saturday night up to midnight, you'd have heard them pumping like mad, getting the water, because not one of them would have dared would have wanted to, would have been embarrassed to get that bucket of water on Sunday. Because that was the Lord's day. Boy, we have, we have fallen a long, long way since then, haven't we? Is there any respect for the Lord's day anymore? Hardly respect even among Christians for it, never mind the unsaved. I've loved the habitation of your house and the place where your honor dwells. In Psalm 27, <clears throat> in 
verses 4 and 5. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Psalmist loved the house of the Lord. He lived for it. He said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. (laughs) Here's the king of Israel speaking. He says, I I would just, you know, I always thought that David would rather be a priest than a king. He just loved to be in the house of God. To see the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. And in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. And he shall set me high upon a rock. There's something God honoring about going to God's house. And there's something about going to God's house that God will honor you for it. God will find a way. In Psalm 31, just across the page. Verse 19. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. If we honor the Lord and we honor his house, God will lay up for us his goodness, even in the presence of the sons of men. In Psalm 92, and this is just the last one here. Psalm 92. Verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. The reason why you're here tonight is because you're planted in the house of the Lord. Not everybody is planted in God's house. That's the people go to God's house. That's the people tip their hat on Sunday. But they're not planted. They haven't got the roots. What a difference it makes, believer, when you're rooted and you're grounded in the house of the Lord. God has ordained believers to meet in his house. I know that's very simple and I shouldn't even have to say it, but it's the truth. And then quickly, fourthly, be good stewards of all that you possess. Henry Crowell 
is a young man had tuberculosis, couldn't go to school, but he prayed. And he asked God to help him. Then he heard the great D.L. Moody, the evangelist, preach. And he gave his heart to the Lord. And he prayed some more. And he said, Lord, I don't think I'd ever be a preacher. But I think I could be a good businessman. And if you help me to be a good businessman, I promise you, I will use the money in your service. A few years later, when he got more healthy and became uh, an adult, he bought an old mill in Ohio. It's called the Quaker Mill. They began to make oats. Quaker oats. Still being made to this day. Within 10 years, everybody in America was eating Quaker oats. God made him a good businessman. Would he fulfill his part of the bargain? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Immediately, he would give 10%, then later 20%, then 30 then 40 then 50%, and then 60%. The time he died, he'd give millions, millions to the kingdom of God. Not bad for anybody who didn't go to school and had tuberculosis. He honored God and God honored him. Who uses Colgate toothpaste? Anybody in the house? A few people? Do you ever wash your hands with a bar of Colgate soap? Well, next time you brush your teeth, think of this. William Colgate was only 16 years old. His father was so poor, he couldn't take care of him anymore. So he packed up all his worldly possessions in a little bag that he could carry in his hand. That's all he had. And he set out to make his fortune. He met an old captain of a tugboat. He was a Christian. And he told the captain of the tugboat his story. And he said, all I can do is make soap and candles. And the tugboat captain said to him, he said, son, somebody in New York City is going to be the biggest soap seller. It might as well be you. Somebody's going to do it. It might as well be you. But you've got to honor God. And he prayed for him. And he prayed that he would get saved. And he got saved. He went to the city. He started a soap business. And God began to bless it. He joined a church immediately. And he promised God, he says, for every dollar you give me, I'll give you 10 cents back. I'll give you the tithe. The first dollar he made, he gave God 10 cents. And he never stopped. 
given the tithe. In fact, in the end, in the end, he didn't just give 10% or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 or 90. In the end, he was given all of it to the kingdom of God. We still have Colgate soap to this day and toothpaste. See, those that honor God, God will honor them. Who's ever eaten Kraft cheese? <laughs> Just about all of us. Again, J.L. Kraft was just a young man. He decided he would make cheese. So he started out with a business partner. He was a junior partner because of his age. He was young. But he told the Lord he would honor him. And before very long, he became the senior partner. And then before long after that, he was the sole owner. In a very short space of time, he owned the biggest cheese company in the world. But you know, before that happened, when he just started out, he failed. He bombed. <laughs> and a Christian friend told him, you know why you failed? Because you haven't honored God. You haven't made God part of your business. If you make God part of your business and you put him first, you won't fail. And he thought about that and he said to God, God, if you want to run this cheese business, you run it and I'll help you. Very simple, isn't it? You run it and I'll help you. And from that moment on, things began to soar until he became the biggest cheese company in the world. In fact, today it's still the biggest cheese company in the world. In fact, just recently, did you notice recently how that Kraft wanted to buy Cadbury's? That's the power of that company. It started out with just a young man who wanted to honor God. To be a good steward of all that you possess. I should have read Proverbs chapter 3. Verse 9 and 10. Because that's a good place to start. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. How many believes that? Chapter 11. Verse 24 and 25 and 26. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. 
The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessings will be in the head of him who sells it. <laughs> you see, it's a biblical principle, isn't it? Do you know that Colonel Sanders didn't start his business until he was in his 60s? In fact, he got his first welfare check in his 60s, and that's all he had. That's all he possessed. And he looked at it and he thought, what am I going to do? And the idea came to him, he would make chicken like his mother used to make it. His finger looking good. And he had a special recipe that nobody knew, only himself. And he started to make chicken. The rest is history. We're still eating it today, aren't we? But you know, when his business really soared and he became world famous, he got saved. He came to the Lord. And my former pastor preached in the church that he used to go to. And the pastor of that church told my pastor, he said, I remember the first tithe he gave. Boy, that would build you a building. Could you imagine getting the tithe of Colonel Sanders? <laughs> that would be some tithe, wouldn't it? By the time he died, he'd give millions and millions to the kingdom of God. To missions and churches and projects all over the world. The pastor said he was the foulest mouthed man ever until he got saved. So think of that the next time reading Colonel Sanders. Do you know that, and I don't know that he's a believer, do you know that the guy who started Domino's Pizzas, do you know that he gives millions to charities? Do you know that he ties his business? It's a biblical principle. And those who honor God, God will honor. And then fifthly, we'll go quickly. Although you're nice and warm now, so it's not so bad. Eh? If this had been this morning, you'd been looking at your watch and says, he's never going to end, I'm freezing here. People's putting on their coats and scarves and everything this morning. It's funny to watch when you're standing up here. But I know when you're sitting down, when you're up here and you're moving about, you don't feel so bad, but when you're sitting there, it's, it was Baltic, wasn't it? Anyway, quickly, reverence and respect his name. Reverence and respect his name. Psalm 66, verse 2. Sing out the honor of his name and make his praise glorious. Sing out the honor of his name. If you were to read in Acts chapter 4, from verse 7 onwards, you would see that Peter and the disciples, how a tremendous miracle took place of healing. And how that those religious established figures who desperately wanted to quell this new Christian uprising, but they couldn't do it because the people wouldn't let them do it. And they couldn't deny that a, that a notable miracle had taken place. They could see the man. They couldn't deny it. And so they pulled the disciples in and warned them 
It says, well, we can't touch them, but we'll warn, we'll threaten them never ever to speak in this name because the disciples were using his name. And they said, well, we can't, act, I'm paraphrasing, we can't actually do that because we want to honor God by using his name. Reverence and respect his name. Now, you see, the reason why I say that is this. Because you and I, as Christians, we carry his name wherever we go, don't we? People look at you and they look at me and they say, there's a Christian. There's somebody who's supposed to be a follower of Christ. There's somebody who bears his name. So see how important it is that we reverence and we respect his name that we don't take his name in vain and I'm not talking about cursing and swearing here but that we honor his name that our lifestyles is reverencing and respecting and honoring his name it's only fair isn't it if we take his name and we call ourselves by his name it's only but right then that we should respect and revere and reverence and honor his name. You know, I read a report just recently. And even though this was a survey done in America, I have no doubt that the statistics are probably the same here, if not worse. And here was the statistic that among born-again, believing Christians, 18 years and under, 40% of them has engaged in premarital sex. The national average is 54. We're not much better than the world. And if we took a survey in Northern Ireland tonight, it wouldn't be any better than that. In fact, it may be worse than that. That may come as a shock to some of you, but that's the truth. I don't think that's honoring his name, is it? If we're no better than the world and we're not living any better than the world, then we're not honoring and respecting his name. Josh McDowell, who has written many, many books, worked for years for Compass Crusade for Christ. He wrote a book called Why Wait? I'm still in print. I'm sure maybe they've changed the title. I don't know. But if you're 18 years and under, you should get it and read it. Why wait? The world says, don't wait. Everybody's doing it. Don't wait. He wrote a book that says, why wait? And he gives some reasons why we should wait. First of all, he gives physical reasons because it's sinning against our own bodies. 1 Corinthians 6 says, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And it's sinning against our own bodies. It's like no other sin on earth in that respect. He said there are spiritual reasons because it hurts our walk with God. If we violate God's written principles, it's going to hurt us. Mightn't feel like it at the time, but believe me, it'll hurt at some point. 
because we have just violated God's principles. He said there's emotional reasons, guilt, loss of self-esteem that you can never get back. It's gone. There's reasons why to wait. And then he says there's relational reasons because it puts pressure in courtship that shouldn't be there. Because God has designed certain things only to be in the confines of marriage. And if we violate that and step outside of that, then there will be guilt, there will be low self-esteem, and there will be regrets, and it puts pressure on. So if we say we have taken his name, let's not take it in vain. And if the whole world's doing the opposite, that's a good reason why it's wrong. If the whole world's doing something, you can be sure it's wrong, isn't it? Because it's the broad road, that re- broad road that leads to destruction. It's the narrow road that leads to life. And so you say, well, uh, would I not be in the minority? Yes. Would I not be the odd one out? Yes. But will I be honoring God? Yes. <laughs> what do you want to be? The odd one out and honoring God or just like everybody else? I think we want to be the odd one out and honor God, don't you? And God will find a way of honoring you. And then finally, lastly, honor God by making Jesus Lord and Savior. Honor God by serving Him everywhere and every way. Honor God by being a lover of God's house. Honor God by being good stewards of all you possess. Honor God by reverence and respecting His name. Honor God by honoring the Lord's day. Very quickly. The Lord's day. Just one day out of the week. Now you may have work. Some of his work shifts. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about legitimate reasons. But so much of her not being in the house of God on Sunday has nothing to do with legitimate reasons. Now, I'm preaching to the converted because you're here. So I'm not going to blast you because you're here. But there's something about the Lord's day if at all possible, if we can be in God's house on the Lord's day and say, Lord, this is a day that you have ordained that we come together corporately to worship you in your house on your day. That's a wonderful, precious thing to do before the Lord. Listen, let me finish by saying this. Sunday for the Christian is the first day of the week. For the world, it's the last day of the weekend. But for us, our week has already started. This is it. And we have already put God first in it. Do you get that? If you want your week to go right, put God first at the beginning of it. And this is the beginning of it for us. It's the first day of the week. And that's when the disciples met on the first day of the week. Start your week off honoring God in his house. I, I love the house of God. Uh, not just because I'm the preacher and the pastor. I love the house of God before I was ever anything. 
soon as they get saved, they love the house of God. Always wanted to be in it. And it's great. Where else would you want to be on a Sunday other than the house of the Lord with God's people? Now, I know you get on each other's nerves at times. I know that. We all do. That's our humanity, isn't it? And sometimes you don't feel like it either. That's our humanity. But we do it because we know it honors God and it's His day. And we take His day and we bless His day. And then whenever we do that, well, Lord, I've honored you. I've started out this week and I've honored you in your house. And God will find ways to honor me the rest of this week. I've honored him today. Is that too simple? Do you believe that? Amen. Well, then let's pray. Lord, teach us to honor you in everything we do, in everything we say, in everything we have, and all that we are. Let it be honoring you. Pray, Lord, that you'll bless everyone here tonight and their families and their loved ones and their children. Lord, as we go out into this new week, Lord, the working week that starts tomorrow, we just pray that you'll bless it. Lord, we have honored you today. We've come to your house. We've worshipped you. We have praised. We've sang your praises. We've listened to your word. Now, Lord, as we go out into this working week, help us to carry your presence with us that we may influence and touch lives for Jesus Christ, for his honor and his glory, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.